All right. I want to welcome everybody to um, another edition of the uh, Trumpet Series Bible Study uh, broadcast. This is your host, Brother Nick Bailey, uh, thanking you for uh, choosing to tune in today uh, as we come to you live from the United Baptist Church Auditorium on um, Tuesday. Tuesday. What is the month? November. November the 2nd, 2021, as I'm still trying to recover from um, uh, last night's late broadcast. And, um, you know, we didn't finish up till right around 11 o'clock. And I apologize for that. Apologize for the late night. But, um, you know, uh, I'm just trying my best to take this seriously. And yesterday was just one of those days. Uh, just a hard day, not necessarily a bad day, but it was a hard day, and we, um, I just had to scratch and fight and claw, do everything within my power just to make it through the day and get um, a semblance of things done that needed to be taken care of, but God's grace was sufficient, and He helped us, and um, what we can say to that is to God be the glory, so thank you again for uh, choosing to uh, tune in. And I um, um, hope um, everything's going well. As uh, Boy, isn't it just a beautiful time of year? The leaves changing, the fall colors. And, um, uh, of course, uh, I dread what, uh, what's uh, just around the corner uh, by way of winter and cold weather and snowflakes and such. But... It didn't come to stay, it came to pass. So thank you again for being here today. Just by way of announcements, I do want to say that um, I want to remind everybody about the um, upcoming Hope for America rally scheduled this upcoming Friday night, November the 5th, 7 o'clock p.m. right here at United Baptist Church. I'm telling you, friends, you don't want to miss out on this. Uh, what we believe is going to be an epic service. Brother D.R. Harrison, Brother Greg Locke will be tag-teaming it when it comes to the preaching. Uh, and I can't think of a better duo of preachers that are liable to blow the roof off this place on Friday than uh, Brother Greg Locke and Brother D.R. Harrison, uh, not to mention special singing that's going to be provided for by one of my gr favorite groups, and I hope they're not watching because I don't want them to know. Um, they're one of my favorite groups, amen, all the way from um, uh, Rabbit Foot Holler up in Virginia of the day. Uh, I'm just kidding. I love of the day. Then we're uh, under two weeks away. The, the pressure's starting to build, to be honest with you. I need your prayers. Uh, what we believe is going to be another wonderful week of worship as the Ark Community Revival kicks off two weeks from yesterday, Monday through Friday, November the 15th to the 19th, 7 o'clock p.m. at the Crescent School Auditorium here in Greenville. We are so excited. Uh, again, the excitement is building. People are anticipating what we believe God's going to do, a wonderful week of worship, preaching, singing, uh, community gathering together, coming together. Uh, that's what it's all about, putting our denominations, our doctrines, our ideas, uh, our egos, putting all these things aside to come together in one place. Uh, again, Crescent School Auditorium uh, located uh, on Main Street here in Greenville. So make sure you plan on coming. Uh, we're going to have special singing and preaching each night. The highlight of the week will be Brother Mike Sage, pastor at Freedom Baptist Tabernacle, Adkins, Virginia. He's going to deliver the message on Friday, a special youth uh, night. So um, again, don't miss that service. You're not going to find uh, better preaching in all the world than Brother Mike Sage. Um, uh, then on Saturday, November the 20th, we will have the first annual art banquet that's going to take place, again, the Crescent School venue, 5 o'clock p.m. Uh, Saturday, November the 20th. There's going to be a catered meal. There's going to be a, a, a ministry presentation. There'll be a silent auction, as well as a fundraising campaign that will conclude the day's activities. Remember this, tickets for the banquet, they can be purchased at the Ark Thrift Store in Greenville. The cost will be $10 per adult, $5 per child, with the youngest age kids getting in free of charge and please go ahead and purchase those tickets as quickly as possible uh, so we can get an accurate head count. There will be sit tickets sold at the door, but we want to make sure that we have uh, plenty of food, enough food, not too much food, 
Uh, amen. Excited about the Ark Banquet as we continue to further the vision that God's laid on our hearts regarding this ministry. I do want to make this special announcement about a revival meeting that's going on right now up at Embryville Cove Missionary Baptist Church in Irwin, Tennessee. Uh, the pastor's Brother Brian Brown, a, a local guy. I've known Brian uh, for many years. Uh, but my dear friend and uh, uh, my fellow laborer here at United Baptist Church, Brother Josh Cutchall, he's preaching those services. And so far, just since past Sunday, this past Sunday, They've already had at least eight people profess Christ as their Savior. So if you get a chance, go up to Irwin and support this service. Again, that's Embryville Cove Missionary Baptist on Bumpus Cove Road in Irwin where services start at 7 o'clock each night. We're going tonight, uh, Lord willing, taking a church van up there to uh, Embryville Cove Missionary Baptist Church. We're going to leave uh, the church here around 6 o'clock uh, or so for anybody that wants to go with us. So uh, pl please pray for this revival meeting as we desperately need revival. Pray for all these activities. Uh, pray for the uh, Hope for America rally uh, this Friday night at United Baptist Church. Pray for the upcoming ARC revival, a community revival, again scheduled for November 15th to the 19th, and pray for the ARC banquet. Again, we've got a lot to pray about. Uh, and again, anytime you have a revival or, or an activity or an event, at your church that you'd like for us to uh, announce uh, on this uh, Trumpet Series uh, program. If you just uh, get me that information, let me know. We'll do our best to get that out. Again, we've got to co cooperate. We've got to work together. We, we've got to quit trying to undermine one another's ministries. Amen. And realize uh, God, that it's time for us to get serious about what God's called us to do. Uh, again, not fighting against one, one another, not allow ourselves to be distracted by one another's differences, but let's come together, rally around the cause of Christ, the name of Jesus, and the urgent need for revival. Okay, so let's open up with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for the privilege we have together uh, here uh, today, and uh, Lord, uh, uh, just spend time studying your word. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the the opportunity to, to prepare for this Bible study. And Lord, now uh, help me, Lord, just to, uh, to uh, perform it. Lord, again, it's not a demonstration of the flesh uh, per se, but God, it's, it's uh, Lord, we're trying to give out the gospel and to share the Word of God. We know that the Word of God, there's power in Your Word. So Lord, I pray that Your Word would get the job done. Lord, I pray... Uh, Father, that it wouldn't return void. I pray that it would accomplish the purpose you sent it out to do. Uh, God, I pray that it'd fall on good ground. I pray that your word would be a lamp in our feet and a light in our path. We'd hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against thee. Honor your word, exalt your son, the humble servant. We're going to praise you today for who you are and what you do, God. Father, if there might be one that's lost, I pray that today might be their day of salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Give me the unction, the anointing to preach thy word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And I know uh, last night, as well as today, I haven't, um, you know, the Lord didn't necessarily lay a, a song on my heart. We'll continue to incorporate music in the Bible study broadcast as the Lord sees fit. But today we're just going to get right into the study of the Scriptures. Now, if you were able to tune in last night, uh, we spent our time looking at verses 13 through 18 of Romans chapter 3 where Paul continues to give us a very sobering picture of the depths of man's depraved heart and soul described to us in the Word of God. Verses 11 and 12, the apostle wrote concerning the fallen condition of man's mind, heart, and will. Uh, again, he, his mind, he, he's not able to understand the things of God because of his fallen condition. He, he doesn't have any desire to seek after God. Man's heart uh, is not bent towards God, but it's bent towards sin. No man uh, seeks after God. There's no beauty in him that we should desire him. Unless God uh, softens your heart and pricks your heart uh, regarding who Jesus is and regarding the desperate need that exists in your own heart and life, no man will naturally seek after God. 
Uh, the only reason you love God is because God first loved you. The only reason you chose God is because God first chose you. Now again, we're not discounting the willful choice that man has to make, whether it be to receive or to reject uh, Christ as his Savior. If you go to hell, it won't be because God uh, uh, sent you there, but it'll be because you chose to go there uh, against and over the blood of Jesus Christ and the righteousness of Christ that was made available to you. Uh, so again, man's uh, mind is depraved, man's heart is fallen, but also there's none that doeth right, no, not one. Your mind affects your emotions and your feelings, and your uh, feelings affects the willful and voluntary choices and decisions you make. But then in verses 13 and 18, Paul continued his thoughts by describing the degenerate state of man's words, his way, as well as his wisdom. We spent time discussing the tongue, the lips and the throat of man as being an open grave and a tomb from which spews all kinds of rotten filth and stench as well as every form of vile venom and poison that defiles the ears of those who hear it. Amen. Uh, that's why it's important for you to keep your mouth shut and closed. Because the more time we spend opening our mouths, the more we are opening and exposing the, the world to the vile venom. Uh, amen. And the filthy, rot, rotten, decaying corpse that exists within the depths of our heart and soul. Amen. Paul's describing the throat of man as a grave and a tomb. Uh, amen. And when you open that when that tomb is opened and unsealed, uh, amen, that stench and that stink uh, spews out. Uh, and that old uh, nasty, nasty, nauseating aroma, uh, amen, uh, it, it uh, fills up the noses of those who hear the, hear the words coming out of your mouth. Uh, amen. Jesus said it this way, Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. But we also... Describe the way of man as being a way of misery and destruction. Not only the words of man, but also the way of man. And how that man is pretty much guilty of destroying, ruining, and undermining pretty much everything he touches and lays his hands on. Uh, that's right. Uh, the best thing man can do is keep his hands off God's creation. Because what man touches, man defiles. Uh, what man takes control of, man ruins and destroys. Just like he's doing right now in our own country. But not only does he ruin it, uh, man in his destitute condition, uh, being apart from and separated from a holy God, man is miserable. Uh, amen. And if you want to describe uh, man's condition away from and apart from God in one word, man is miserable. He's in a, a condition of misery. Uh, and uh, again, but when you put God into the, the equation, God can change man and God can take man out of a condition of miser misery and God can make God, man wonderful. As the psalmist said prior to the fall, man was fearfully and wonderfully made. But amen, man takes that which, is, which God intends to be wonderful and man causes it to become miserable. But then we finished up last night's study by examining the foolishness not only of man's words and his ways, but also his wisdom, especially as it pertains to man's tendency to live without the realization, the awareness, the knowledge, and the sensitivity toward the fact of, God, of God's existence. Amen. And for whatever reason, we human beings tend to live our lives and conduct our business from day to day as if God doesn't even Exist. It's almost like we're oblivious to the reality of God's existence. How foolish of a thing that is, just as the psalmist wrote, The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Uh, again, but on today's broadcast, and, and we, uh, uh, you need to live, you need to live your life uh, with a conscious awareness of the fact that there is a God in heaven that's watching after you that's looking upon you, that sees you, that knows you, that knows where you go, what you do, what you say. Even your very thoughts are known unto the God of heaven. Amen. But today we have a world and a society that 
uh, acts as if it's totally oblivious to the fact that God knows who we are and what we do. But today I would like us to transition away from and off of the section uh, of Scripture we've been studying for some time now where Paul has been painting this picture and portrait of the fallen condition of man's depraved heart and soul. And as we've said several times throughout this study, before Paul could ever present the opportunity for man to be made righteous, he had to first of all establish the need for man to be made righteous because of the tragedy and the depravity of his uh, fallen and sinful state. Well, I really like the outline that Warren Wiersbe uses in his commentary as he refers to the portion we've been studying in the last part of chapter number 1 all the way through chapter number 2 and uh, throughout the majority of chapter number 3. Wiersbe uh, refers to this as the righteousness of God demanded because of man's sin. Let me say that again. The righteousness of God demanded because of man's sin. But then he later... Uh, refers to the second section we just now, or we're just now getting ready to enter into in our study. Uh, amen. Not the righteousness of God demanded because of man's sin, but how about this? The righteousness of God declared by way of salvation. So again, chapter number one through mo- the majority of chapter number three, it's the righteousness of God demanded because of sin, but now. Uh, as, we, uh, as we put a, a, a wrap on chapter number 3 and enter into chapter number 4 and 5, it is the righteousness of God declared by way of salvation. So again, you have uh, the, the, these important thoughts that are intertwined and tied uh, into one another. Remember this, the righteousness of God is the primary theme of the book of Romans with the key verse of the entire book being Romans chapter 1, verse number 17, talking about how that the righteousness of God has been revealed from one faith uh, onto another faith. But today, here in verses 19 through 23, we might refer to this passage as a transitional section that moves out of and away from the previous thought and into and upon this new idea that Paul is getting ready to unfold uh, and reveal to his audience. So in these verses, we're going to spend some time wrapping up and concluding Paul's thoughts regarding man's sinfulness. But then we're also going to introduce a brand new thought Paul is beginning to address and convey to his readers by way of the opportunity man man now has, this newfound opportunity that's been provided to us by way of the gospel. And now man has an opportunity to be made righteous by way of salvation uh, through Jesus Christ. Amen. So again, he's, he's, uh, he's concluding and ending one thought, but he's introducing a brand new thought. So this is kind of a tra- these, these are transitional verses, verses 19 through 23. Uh, again, intertwined, woven together, this, uh, this Paul is concluding and ending and summarizing man's guilt and he's introducing this opportunity for man to be made righteous by way of Jesus Christ. First of all, there's an appropriation. Verse number 19, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law. Now here's where the dispensational principle of Bible interpretation must kick in as Paul reveals how the law was especially written to a specific and an intended audience, namely the Jewish people. Again, it is said to those who are under the law. Now in saying that, that doesn't mean that the law has no worth or value to those it was not specifically written to or intended for, of course. Why? Because the Bible also clearly tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, and all good works provided to us by Paul as he wrote to young Timothy. 
So here's what that means, friend. It means that all Scripture is profitable and that the entire Word of God is written for us and for our learning. But what it does not mean is that all Scripture is necessarily written directly to us or that all of the specific commands or promises of the Word of God can be claimed or applied directly to our lives. Amen. That song, I believe there's an old song that says every promise in the book of mine. That's just not true. I can't take promises that were made to the Jews and directly apply them to my own life because not every promise uh, of the Scripture relates to me uh, specifically and in a direct manner. Amen. So also, not every command that's, get, that's given in the Word of God, especially those commands and those laws that were revealed precisely to the Jewish people, those uh, cannot directly be applied to my life. Now, again, that doesn't mean that they're not for us. It means that they're not written directly to us. There's something we can learn from them. There's an application that we can make, make regarding them. Amen. But friend, when we rightly divide the word of truth, part of getting the correct and proper interpretation involves uh, understanding uh, who the particular passage was written to. Uh, in other words, was it written to the Jew or was it written to the, to the church of the living God? We know this is one way how uh, there is such, so much confusion. And one reason why there are so many misinterpretations and, and why people falsely uh, understand the Word of God is because they do not apply the principle of distinction. And friend, you will never be able to rightly divide the Word of truth and you will never properly be able to understand the Word of God unless you are able to make a clear-cut distinction between commands and promises that are made to the Jewish people uh, as opposed to commands and promises that are given out to the church. And if you do not make a distinction between the Jew and the church, you will never be able to rightly divide or properly interpret the Word of God. We might say it this way, just because God was speaking to the Jew, it doesn't mean He was also necessarily speaking towards the church. And uh, although we can learn from, profit from, and make application from verses, promises, and commands that were given directly to the Jewish people, that does not mean we can necessarily claim them as our own or interpret them as being written directly towards us. You say, preacher, what's your point? Well, here Paul is saying that the things contained in the law were written to those that are in under the law, namely the Jews. And just uh, in case you're hesitant or, or just in case you're wondering or questioning whether or not uh, this preacher man is really speaking the truth today, I think about Romans 6, 14 and 15 where the Apostle Paul reveals to us how that we are who are apart from the bride of Christ and the church of the living God, we are not in under the law, but that we are now in under grace. Aren't you thankful that because you're saved by God's grace that you're no longer living in under the law, but you're living in under grace? How is that possible? Because... Through the perfect and the sinless life that Jesus lived uh, here on earth, He perfectly fulfilled and kept the law. And uh, amen, His perfect obedience and adherence to the law uh, uh, caused you and I not to uh, have to be put in under the law. We're no longer in under the law, but we are in under grace. Amen. Now there's a prohibition, verse number 19, that every mouth may be stopped. Here Paul is showing how that one purpose for the giving of the law is so that every mouth might be stopped. Amen. And by that I believe he's talking about those who might try and justify themselves by way of their own righteousness or their own good deeds, efforts, or works. Now uh, those who might try and use their ignorance as an excuse or a crutch for their sin. So what Paul is basically saying here is that the law pretty much strips man of every opportunity he might have to make an excuse for his own sin 
or to try and attempt to justify himself by way of his good deed or by way of his own righteousness. Amen. Paul's wanting to shut the mouths of those who would try to justify themselves by way of the law. And he's trying to stop the mouths of those who would try to use uh, their ignorance as an excuse for their own negligence and disobedience to the law. Now let's notice an intention. Verse number 19, And all the world may become guilty before God. Here Paul gets down to the nitty gritty, and he really gets down to where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, as it relates to his overall and main purpose for writing the first three chapters of the book of Romans. And that is to expose and reveal the whole world as standing and being guilty before a holy God. And friend, uh, again, why did Paul write the first three chapters of the book of Romans? Well, just to reveal and to show and to portray man as being guilty before God. Not only that he is guilty, but also that he is without excuse. Amen. And may I just say to you today that if you can read the first three chapters of the book of Romans without coming to a very keen and a very clear realization of your own guilt and your own unworthy and own unrighteous standing before God, then all I can say is that you are blind. I don't know about anybody else, but as I've gone through these chapters and and read through these verses and studied these various truths and principles that Paul lays out for us uh, in his writing, uh, I've felt convicted. Amen. God has uh, revealed some things to me in my life, and He's shown me some things, and He's made me aware of some areas uh, in my own life to where I fall short. And, and uh, again, there's some, some areas I need to address so that my life might be uh, more pleasing and acceptable in the sight of a holy God. Friend, Paul could not have done a better job than what he's done in these verses. Obviously, not in his own self or by way of his own strength, but through the help of the inspiration of the Holy Ghost by revealing man not only to be without excuse, but also to stand absolutely and totally guilty before a thrice holy God. Friend, you can spin it or twist it any way you want to. You can try to come up with every uh, uh, excuse in the book uh, uh, as to why you are innocent uh, rather than guilty. But I'm telling you, in the high court of heaven, uh, God, who is both the judge, the jury, and the executioner, He's already declared man without Christ and man away from and apart from God. Man is without excuse and man is 100% guilty before God. Amen. So it doesn't matter what you think about it, what I say about it, or, you know, what, whatever kind of idea we want to contrive within a, the confines of our own mind, we can think we're innocent, but in reality we're guilty. We have the right to be wrong if we want to. But friend, I'm telling you, in the eyes of the high court of heaven, uh, without Jesus Christ and apart uh, from God's help, amen, you have been declared guilty. The verdict's already been read. Amen. The sentence has already been proclaimed. Uh, Amen. You're you're guilty before God and it's just a matter of when as far as that actual sentence being carried out on your life. Uh, Again, once again, the reason why this is so important is because man can never see or recognize the need for him to be made righteous unless he is first made to see the reality of his own guilt and his own unrighteous standing before God. And as I said in an earlier program, while we were addressing many of these same truths, uh, that's why this modern day, watered down, softened up, and more sensitive uh, version of the gospel that is being presented from so many of our pulpits today, and in so many of our churches uh, that is being... Uh, uh, swallowed up and lapped up just like an old dog uh, eating his own vomit. It is damaging, it's deadly, and it's destructive. Why? 
because it strips the gospel of the urgency and desperation of its message. In other words, what really makes it so necessary and vital for man to come to Christ, be saved, and be made righteous in the sight of a holy God is his current and depraved standing of being unrighteous and being in in danger of being condemned in over his sin. And friend, if you take man's unrighteous condition out of the equation, and if you strip away and remove the reality uh, of his guilt and condemned state, then you in essence remove the very need for him to be saved and be made righteous in the first place. Once again, as I said in an earlier program, in order for man to really need to be saved at all, and in order for man to really need to be made righteous, there must be something inherently wrong about man that he needs to be saved or delivered from. There must be an unrighteous condition that reactively causes man to even need to be made righteous. False preachers and heretics, there's a, can I just say this? There is a man, and you know, years ago, not too long ago in fact, uh, a man wouldn't have even had the guts or the gall to make a statement like this false preacher and this heretic recently claimed uh, when he said that Jesus did not come to change man or to make man different than who he was, but Jesus supposedly, according to the words of this false prophet, came to reveal the inherent good man that he truly and already was. Can you imagine that? That someone would have the guts, the gall, and the nerve to say that man doesn't need to be made righteous, that Jesus didn't come to change man, but to reveal the, the goodness, the inherent goodness that are, and the inherent righteousness that already indwelt uh, uh, the innermost being of man. Friend, I've never heard something so foolish and outlandish. And, and I couldn't think of anything that could be said that is more contrary to uh, the, uh, the, the obvious and evident truths of the Scriptures than for somebody to say that man doesn't need to be changed and that Jesus didn't come to change man, but to reveal that man is inherently good and righteous. That fellow better repent or he's going to burn in the flames and the fires of a devil's hell. Now there's a limitation. Verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Here Paul introduces a new and very important term, justified, that we're going to elaborate and expound on starting tomorrow. But for now, let me just say that to be justified simply means to be made and declared righteous by a judicial court or authority. Amen. It is a judicial term. Justification. Just as if you've never sinned. Amen. And that is another primary theme of the book of Romans. But basically what Paul is doing in these verses is to show how that the law is actually incapable and was never really even given or intended to, take, to make man righteous in the first place. Why? Because as Paul has already shown and revealed, because of the depraved state uh, man inherited when he fell into sin, man is absolutely and totally incapable of keeping or fulfilling the law. Amen. That is the great purpose uh, and the primary reason, the number one reason why the law was given out in the first place, not to make man righteous, uh, amen, uh, but to reveal uh, man's unrighteousness. Uh, amen. The only answer or solution. You see, uh, again, Paul has already revealed, shown, and, uh, and made known that because of the depraved state man inherited, uh, amen, uh, that he is incapable, absolutely and totally of incapable of fulfilling or keeping the law of God. And the only answer or solution to that problem in the sight of God is for the Lord to send somebody in man's place and in man's stead who would be able to keep and fulfill the law for him. And we know that the answer to that question and the solution that God came up with 
uh, regarding man's inability to keep uh, the law is found in the man by the name of Jesus Christ. As far as the law itself is concerned, it was never intended. The law was never intended or meant by God to make man righteous or holy. Why? Because God knew from the very moment He gave it out and revealed it to the Jews that man in himself and because of his depraved condition would not be able to keep or fulfill the law. Friend, uh, God had this whole thing under control uh, from the very time before He ever gave it out. Man's ability to keep to man's inability to keep the law, uh, his incapability to fulfill the law, it didn't uh, catch God off guard. It didn't take God's surprise. But He knew when He established the law, when He revealed the law to man, God knew that from that very moment that man that the law would be too high of a standard for man to keep. God knew that because of man's fallen and depraved condition that man in himself inherently would be incapable and unable to keep or fulfill the law. That's why I believe Paul wrote in Hebrews 10 verse 4 that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. Why? Because man in his fallen and depraved estate is simply not able to live up to God's standard, and man is unable to be a keeper uh, and an obeyer of the law of God. So now let's notice a revelation, verse number 20. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Here Paul consolidates much of what he's been trying, or excuse me, much of what he's been writing about uh, for almost three chapters now by showing how that God's real uh, intended purpose for the law again was never to remove or take away sin. Why? Because God knew that in His fallen state man would not be able to keep or fulfill the law. But instead the law was given not to remove the existence of sin but in fact it was given to reveal the fact that sin did exist. Again, God, uh, the law was not given to remove sin, but to reveal the existence of sin. Why? Because as man becomes aware of his own inability to keep the righteous and holy demands of God as they are laid out to us and for us in the law, man also at the same time becomes aware of and sensitive to the fact uh, of his own righteous and sinful state. The law... Uh, was never created or given out to remove sin, but it was given so that our sinful state might be revealed. Not to remove sin. The law doesn't remove sin. The law reveals sin. Man's inability to keep the law of God, to meet the standard of God, and to live up to the high level God requires and expect Him to live up to is what constitutes and establishes the fact that man is a sinner. The law establishes man's guilt, reveals man's uh, uh, sinfulness, and uh, uh, causes man, in effect, to become desperate and urgent uh, to solve that problem and find a solution to make him holy and righteous in the sight of a holy God. God's intended purpose for the law was never to remove sin, but to reveal it. Amen. Now there's a manifestation, verse 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Here's where Paul, we see this transition really begin to pick up steam as Paul is moving away from and off of, uh, amen, the establishment of man's guilt and the reality of his sinful condition. And now Paul begins to introduce and uh, uh, unveil uh, a new principle and idea. He is intermixing and intermingling this new truth he's getting ready to address, which specifically is how that man can be made righteous without the law, and even though man is unable to keep or observe the law. Now, if that were the end, if the fact that man is incapable of keeping the law, if that were the final nail that's driven into man's coffin, then you and I 
would live and exist in a condition and a state of utter despair and hopelessness. Amen. But now Paul is showing, hey, uh, you know, not that it's necessarily a good thing that you cannot and that you are unable to keep the law and observe the law, but, but it's not the end of all ends. Paul's saying, I've got some good news for you, and that is God has provided a way that men could be made righteous in spite of their inability uh, in, uh, to keep or observe the law. And for the Jews, I'm sure that this seemed to them to be on the verge or maybe even over the line of being blasphemy. Why? Because to the Jews, righteousness could only be obtained by way of their keeping and observance of the Jewish law that they took so much pride in. But now, here we've got this guy, previously named Saul, now the Apostle Paul, coming along and telling us that man was never able to keep the law in the first place, something I'm sure that they probably already knew because of their own guilt, but they weren't willing to admit it because of their own pride. But now, here this man Paul comes, someone who was once a stiff adherent to and advocate for the law, somebody who fiercely and ferociously defended the law in his previous life, Amen. All of a sudden now Paul is saying that the law was never able to make men righteous, but now man must be made righteous by way of a source that is outside of and apart from the law of God. No wonder they hated him so much because Paul went against everything they ever knew and stood for as religious Jews. So now let's consider the collaboration. Verse 21 being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Here Paul drops another bomb and lays another hammer down on the nail he's been trying to drive home to his audience by saying that both the law and the prophets actually pointed to, verified, and gave evidence to the real way in which man could be made righteous. Not through the law itself, but by way of an outside source that was separate from and outside of the law of God. Isn't that amazing? To know that, that uh, the law itself, that the Jews took so much pride uh, and boasted in, they boasted in their, their supposed uh, own righteousness uh, by way of their what they claimed to be an, uh, an inherent ability to, to keep and observe the law. But in reality... What Paul is saying is that the law, uh, in the, inside the law and within the confines of the law, it actually points towards uh, an outside source uh, and an external method by which man can be made righteous, not by the law, but by something or someone else. And we know who that is. Amen. Mentioned in the next verse, let's notice an impartation. Verse number 22. Even the righteousness of God which is by faith. Now Paul introduces another subject that's going to become a primary theme, especially of chapter number 4, and that is how that the righteousness of God can be obtained by way of justification through faith. Uh, Paul is revealing a bridge, an application, a way uh, by which the righteousness of God can be applied or imputed uh, to the guilty hearts of men who are in themselves unable to be keepers and obeyers of the law. Paul's saying, I'm going to give you a bridge to cross. I'm going to give you a paintbrush or a tool that you can use to apply the righteousness of God to your life and bridge that gap, uh, amen, between yourself and your own unrighteousness, a tool that can be used to pull you up and lift you up to the level and the standard that God requires for your life. And that is uh, just the righteousness of God that can be obtained by way of justification through faith. Amen. One of the great doctrines, the pillars and the truths, not only of the book of Romans, but the entire Word of God. Chapter number 4, Paul is going to demonstrate and illustrate this truth again in and through Abraham, the great patriarch of the Jewish faith. 
Of course, there's other verses in Scriptures that speak to us about how that man obtains righteousness not by keeping the law, but by placing his faith and trust in the finished work of Christ as He was offered up for us poor sinners on Calvary's rugged cross. Ephesians 2, 8-9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Not by works, not by our efforts, not by way of our obedience to the law, but by way of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith it is impossible to please Him, God. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek after Him. Again, Abraham was justified not by his ability to keep the law. Abraham was justified by his willingness to follow after God and to diligently seek after God, not by works, not by the observance of Jewish laws and rituals. Uh, Abraham diligently sought after God the same way you and I must seek after God if we are going to be made righteous, and that is in, through, and by the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Not by works, not by the keeping of or the observing the observation of the law, but by placing our faith and trust in the only one who is able to keep or fulfill the righteous standard and the holy demands of the law in every way, shape, or form. And that brings us to the identification, verse number 22. Amen. Faith of Jesus Christ. Amen. And friend, this brings up an important point that I'm not going to spend very much time on today. But you hear this preacher out uh, this afternoon, and that is the object of your faith is just as important as the reality or the sincerity of it. And a lot of times today, amen, we hear a lot of talk about faith. Amen. And I have faith. And everybody has faith. Amen. And it's not the object of your faith. Uh, that matters. It's just the sincerity or the reality of your faith that makes a difference. In other words, you can have faith in Buddha. You can have faith in Confucius. You can have faith, uh, amen, in, in nothing, in atheism. You can have your faith in Islam, the Muslim religion. You can uh, have faith uh, in yourself. You can have faith in the water, the trees. You can have faith in, in the figments of your own imagination and ideas that you have uh, concocted in, in, within the confines of your own mind. Amen. It doesn't matter who or what you have faith in per se as long as you have some kind or any form of faith that matters. And all roads lead to the same place. And it doesn't matter who or what we actually believe in uh, as long as we believe in something or somebody. Uh, again, uh, uh, this principle uh, is manifested in doctrines, man-made doctrines. Again, these devil doctrines, these fully foolish fantasies, these vain imagination that man has created in his mind to lower the standard uh, uh, that God uh, expects and requires out of him. I'm talking about uh, these foolish thoughts such as relativism uh, and pluralism that tells us Amen. That uh, it doesn't matter what we believe as long as we believe in something that all roads lead to the same place. And uh, truth is in the eye of the beholder or that there is no such thing as truth or that truth can be whatever uh, it is you want it to be. Friend, these are lies out of the, dev uh, out of the pits of hell that have been created by the vain imaginations and the foolish uh, fancies of man's minds and the devil doctrines that have been uh, hatched out of the pits of hell itself. Amen. I'm telling you today that the object and the identity of your faith is just as important as the reality and sincerity of your faith itself. Sincerity of faith is insufficient. In order for faith to be effective, it must be rooted and grounded in the right object. Amen. It must uh, it must uh, 
uh, be founded upon the right source. The source of your faith matters. Amen. There's only one way that leads to God. There's only one uh, tool, means, or method. There's only one bridge that man can use to cross out of a state of his own sinful heart of deprivation and rebellion against God. You've got to go over the, the bridge of faith, the, the Jesus bridge. You've got to walk through the Jesus door. Amen. Uh, praise God. You've got to make sure that you go through the door of Christ and Christ is the means and the method that God has established by which man must uh, place his own faith and trust in in order to obtain justification uh, in the sight of, a, of God. Not by way of his own righteousness, but by way of the righteousness of Jesus that is imputed unto him through justification by faith. Amen. Stipulation, verse 22. Unto all and upon all them that believe. Belief here. The Philippian jailer, as Paul and Silas uh, uh, cried out to him from the bottom of a, of a dungeon. Amen. Uh, when he was in danger of taking his own life out of, a, out of a sense of hopelessness and in an attitude of despair, he said, What must I do to be saved? And Paul authoritatively declared unto that jailer, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thine house. I think about the words of Paul later on in the book of Romans, chapter number 10, verses 9 through 11, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. May I say to you, we don't confess in order to be saved, but we confess because we are saved. And I believe that confession is one aspect of salvation. Confession that comes out of the mouth is something that we underemphasize, amen, and that should be made a bigger deal of in our day than what it really is, friend. But I'm telling you, to believe in Jesus is not to develop uh, some idea in your mind or a philosophy regarding who you think or perceive Jesus to be, amen. As long as I have a certain idea or philosophy in my mind about who Jesus is, then I'm saved and I'm justified and I will be declared righteous in God's sight uh, because of an idea or a philosophy that I have regarding who Jesus is. No, my friend, you better trust. Amen. True faith is not only an idea or a belief or a philosophy in your mind, but it is a trusting uh, amen, not a trusting act, but it's an acting trust. If you really believe, amen, your belief will be accompanied by and demonstrated through your own obedience. Uh, uh, verse number th 13, Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. There must be a calling. There must be a confession that is demonstrated uh, by a heart of obedience and a faithful trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary. Now there's an inclusion. For there is no difference. Amen. I think about Romans 10, 12, where Paul wrote this. For there is no difference, aren't you thankful today, that there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. How many of you are thankful today as you tune in to the Trumpet Series Bible Study Broadcast? Aren't you glad for the fact that in the sight of, of God, maybe so in the sight of men, but in God's sight, there is no difference. God is no respecter of persons. And the ground, bless God, is level at the foot of the cross. God is not a, a God of discrimination or favoritism or elitism. Amen. And He uh, does not, uh, uh, He doesn't discriminate uh, against one person because uh, He perceives them or portrays them as being 
uh, views them as being better off than any other person. No, my friend, I'm telling you, God has declared us all and He views us all as being under sin and we all stand guilty before Him and we are without excuse. But in spite of uh, the fact of our uh, depraved condition, the fact that we are without excuse and we're all guilty before God, I'm thankful that the Lord has made a way for men to be justified. We can be made righteous not by way of our own works or by uh, our keeping and observance of the law of God because we're unable to do that. But I'm telling you, when we place our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and when we appropriate the righteousness of God under our account, we are declared righteous. We are determined and the gavel of the high court of, uh, uh, of heaven falls. Amen. And we are declared righteous, innocent, just as if we have never sinned. And this applies to whosoever and anybody who believes in Jesus, regardless of who they are. Why? Because there's no difference. There's no difference. God is no respecter of persons. Amen. And here's the summarization. And this is where we're going to end, end it today. Actually, no, not quite. For all have sinned. For all have sinned. Paul here is summarizing everything that he's been saying over the course of the last three chapters. Amen. He's wrapping it up. He's summing it all up. Amen. Just as he said in verse number 10 of chapter number 3, that there is none righteous, no, not one. He emphasizes it. He drives that point home. Uh, amen. He is reaffirming and reestablishing the fact just in case anybody still doesn't get it, anybody, just in case that someone doesn't understand and that somebody is still confused about the fact that in God's sight they're not innocent, they're without excuse, but they have been declared guilty in the sight of a holy God. Amen. We are all guilty for all have sinned. Amen. For all have sinned. But notice he doesn't just leave it there. He takes it a step further, a definition, verse 23, and come short. He is describing and he is defining uh, what sin really is. Uh, amen. And I'm telling you, I believe that there is a misunderstanding of what sin is. You know what sin is to most people. It's anything and everything that everybody else does except for themselves. Amen. We want to criticize everybody else and we want to nitpick everybody else for their sin and the things that they're guilty of, but then we want to ignore and avoid our sin and act as if our sin is no big deal. And I'm afraid one of the reasons why we are so prone to do this is because many of us do not really and truly understand what sin is. Amen. Just because I don't drink, just because I don't do drugs, just because I don't murder, I don't steal, I don't commit uh, adultery, these big sins, uh, these things that we want to major on, because in our mind we're not guilty of, but we want to ignore the attitudes of sin. Uh, that many of us are guilty of, that in God's eyes are just as big of a big deal as the sin of murder. Amen. I'm talking about the sin of hatred. If you're guilty of hating uh, another human being, you might as well have, have, have shoved a knife through their back. You might, have, you, you might as well have stuck a gun to their head and pulled the trigger because you're guilty in God's eyes. Sinful attitudes are just as bad as sinful actions are in the sight of God. Amen. You know what sin is? Do you know what the clearest and most concise definition we could give regarding the nature and the identity of sin in God's sight? And may I remind you, it doesn't matter what you and I think sin is. It matters about what God says and what God knows and what God has declared sin to be. To sin means to come short. Amen. If you've come short of God's standard and His expectations... Amen. If you uh, are below, uh, if you are below the line, if you've fallen below the line, if you've missed the mark, if you've transgressed or violated the law of God in any one point, Amen. If you have offended the law in any point, you are guilty of offending and uh, Amen and transgressing the entire law of God. 
not living up to the level of expectation or standard uh, or the requirement that God sets for us. And what we want to do as humans, we want to lower the standard. We want to devalue uh, the standard. And we want to bring God down to our level and, and declare ourselves as being righteous because we've watered it down. Amen. And we've lowered the standard. And we, uh, we, are, we are trying to present this idea that man, can, uh, man has some, can somehow meet the standard and the requirement that God sets for us. Amen. But friend, we cannot try and lower the standard or try to bring God down to our level, but instead we must trust Him and allow Him to lift us up to His level and to elevate our lives to the standard that He sets for us through Jesus and so that by way of the finished work of Jesus Christ, we might be able to meet the requirement that God sets for us. And I finish up this, this afternoon with this principle, and that is the exaltation of the glory of God. And friend, just in case anybody still thinks they can meet the standard or live up to the level that's been described for us here in these verses, do you know what God's standard is? It's His glory. The standard is exaltation. And you listen to me today as we conclude. In order for us to make the mark, in order for us to meet the standard, and in order for us to live up to the level of God's required expectations for our lives, we must be glorified. Something that we cannot do on our own or by ourselves. And something that certainly cannot be obtained in this life, but will only be experienced in the life to come. Amen. Listen, friend, I have been justified. I am in the process of being sanctified, but one day I will be glorified. But it's not until that day that God removes even the very presence of sin. See, God, when He justified me, He delivered me from the penalty of sin. Uh, while He is uh, currently sanctifying me, He is progressively uh, and gradually delivering me from the power of sin. But one day when He glorifies me, He's going to remove forever the very presence of sin Every stench and every stain and every spot of sin will be removed from my life uh, when He glorifies me and when, when He presents me as being faultless before the presence of His Son. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now we the sons of God, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him, Jesus, as He is. Uh, Philippians 3, 20 and 21, Paul wrote it this way, For our conversation or our citizenship is in heaven, from whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body. How many of you are looking for that day when God changes your vile body? That it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. Or as a dear old preacher friend of mine used to say, he said it like this, not, he said, I'm not always what I should be. He said, but hallelujah, thank God, I'm not what I used to be. And most of all, I'm not, not what I'm going to be because one day I'm going to be like Jesus. And I hope you're looking for that glorious day when God gives you a brand new body that's fashioned like unto His glorious body. God's going to remove the very presence of sin. Amen. Right now, I can't say I'm sinless. In God's eyes, He views me as, as, as if I'm sinless because He don't see me as I am, but he, see, he sees Christ as Jesus already is. But one day, I am going to be sinless. Amen. God sees me right now as if I am righteous in His sight. And progressively and gradually and slowly through the process of sanctification, God is making me righteous. Uh, amen. God is, is slowly delivering me from the power that sin has. Not just the penalty of sin through justification, but the power of sin by way of sanctification. One of these days, God's going to glorify me. And when He glorifies me, He's going to remove every little spot, every little speck, every little stain, every little stench, odor of sin that's ever contaminated my old body. And on that day, I will be able to confidently say, 
I am righteous, for I have been glorified. Amen. Hope you've enjoyed another broadcast, another day of the Bible study program, the Trumpet Series. Amen. As we do our best to spare not, but to cry aloud and to lift up our voices like a trumpet. Please pray for me. You have no idea the effort that is required in the Bible study and the preparation, let alone the delivery of this. I am spent, I'm tired, and I've still got uh, most of the day to get through as we continue to be faithful about the Father's business. Father in heaven, I love you, and I thank you for another opportunity to deliver your word. And I pray that you'd use your word, that it might make a difference in the lives of those who hear it and listen to it. God, I pray today that you'd help us to to make the most of the time that we have left. God, to redeem the time because the days are evil. And God, give us an opportunity and help us to tell somebody about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love you and I praise you and I pray and I desire, Lord, that you might get all the honor, all the glory, all of the praise out of the Trumpet Series Bible Study Broadcast. In Jesus' name we pray. And for His sake, amen. I hope you have a wonderful day. God bless.